Hi, Ryan, and welcome to ABC's of Anesthesia. Um, now, this is going out as a podcast as well as on YouTube, and today I've got here Dr. James Zeng. Just a quick bio about James. So he's a specialist in anesthetist and digital health analyst. He's former former visiting faculty at UCSF, and also he's just completed his MBA from uh, Melbourne University, and interest in leadership, business, technology. But most importantly, I think we met back when I had just become a consultant, and it was quite, I remember we were on a night shift once, and I, always, I used to always stay in the hospital and he, he, uh, he called me for this ridiculously difficult case and we ended up just kind of doing this case on a bit of sedation and everything went really well. Uh, I just remember you from back in those days. <laughs> yeah, so James, welcome. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, great. No, thanks for that really nice introduction. Um, yeah, that was a long time ago. So, <laughs> you know, we've, we've sort of each come our own long ways since yeah. then. Yeah. Because now I don't think, like, very quickly you were not a trainee now, you're just, you're, you're just a colleague. Um, and often a mentor in digital things and entrepreneurship things. And yeah. Well, I think, you know, obviously I think the mentorship works in both ways. I think, um, you know, I, yeah, I think, you know, things do pass very quickly and people kind of develop in their own ways. And that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of how I see everyone, you know, as a, as a future colleague rather than a trainee really. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So look, there's so many things that I think we're going to have a few episodes, I imagine, and there's so many things that we could chat about. But I really like that you raised a couple of really important kind of questions. And this is really aimed at any time in your career, but often when you're you know, just starting out on your medical journey, you've just become a doctor, internship, you know, your resident years, you're applying for the training program. And even in the training program, a lot of these things are myths. And so when we were kind of chatting about what to talk about, you came up with these three things. So you know, number one, clinical research, education, and, you know, managing being the only recognized paraclinical work. Number two, that changing career is a failure. And number three, that getting to be a qualified consultant, that's the end, complete end goal. And I know that these three myths are definitely things that I, I think, fell into the trap of and completely, that's, that's what I thought my life was going to be like as soon as I started anesthetic training. Um, yeah, so, well, let's let's just get cracking and let's have a chat about. It. So the first one was that most people, when they start medicine, they they want to learn their skill, they want to learn the art of this specialty. But also, everyone thinks about teaching, research, and then maybe later on management as the extra things that you can do to make yourself attractive, employable, but also maybe give you some extra meaning in your work. Um, yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, I think those are pretty. That's a pretty good summary of you know the 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 status quo, if you will, of what we're kind of introduced to mm. kind of early in medicine and, um, you know, throughout your, your training journey. And, you know, I mean, it is a long way. Like if you think about when we start, when you know, you start medical school, you're barely out of your teens mm. and, you know, you get into this very, very long path, which, um, you know, ultimately ends uh, at, in, in your sort of 30s usually if, mm. if everything goes well. Um, now, obviously, that's different for everyone, but but broadly speaking, it takes you know ten to fifteen years to complete that journey. What we're rarely sort of introduced to, at least in in my time, um, you know, is what happens after. Yeah. Um, and and in fact, that that's not a, like a, it's not like you you come off a cliff and then you're like, oh, well, you're there. It's actually you start to get these ideas quite early on, but mm. you sort of get very consumed in the getting the expertise in your clinical role yeah. before you address those questions. And then what happens is, and, and you would know this, is that you get to this landing point where you become a, um, when you become a, a sort of independent practitioner and then you're like, well, okay, here I am uh, 30 years 
Yeah, that's right. Um, which is a funny thought because, you know, like if you think about our colleagues outside of medical work, very few of them see their world that way. So we have this very sort of monocular view or homogenous view of, of how our career looks like. As an example, though, let, let's say you, you do engineering or law. Don't, mm-hmm. Isn't that very similar? You got a named degree that results in a job at the end of it, and then you get that job and then you move up the ladder in, you know, until the, you know, the limits of your expertise. And then you either become some kind of management manager or business owner or something like that. Is that not a, a pretty traditional path for lots of fields? Yeah, look, I think that's, that's a fair yeah. enough um, point. Um, it, it, it is and it isn't in some ways in that, broadly speaking, yes, if you have this kind of named sort of vocation, that is what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing about medicine is that you, you, the, the and, and, and I preface this by saying that that is our perspective from the Australian kind of system mm-hmm. of, of sort of medical specialty yeah. in that what tends to happen is people kind of tend to advance, but advance at a much, much different rate to what they're used to in their careers. Whereas I find with most of my colleagues outside of mm-hmm. the medical world is that they advance at a sort of uh, exponential rate and we tend to advance at a logarithmic kind of rate. It's like we advance very quickly early in our career. Mm-hmm. You know, like by the time you're 30s, you're like, you almost certainly, yeah. but if, if you've done the sort of right things, mm-hmm. you, you, you will have kind of got to where you were aiming to go to. And most of us are pretty goal oriented, so we get there pretty quickly. Yeah, that's right. And then you sort of slow down a lot in, in sort of that particular dimension of your job. Whereas I, I've found from most of my friends who are corporate, who are sort of similarly inclined, they tend to accelerate their career from like their 30s and 40s. And again, there's lots of individual differences, so I, I can't speak to everyone, but, but yeah. most people find that they, they sort of, yeah, their, their progression increases much, much faster, mm. whereas we tend to slow down in our progression. Yeah, it's it's almost like once you become a consultant, you can really have all the options of working ridiculous hours or working a lot less, and you're still at the top of your game. You know, you're you're kind of potentially you're you know you're a boss. Yeah, you can you've got lots of people underneath you to uh, yeah. offload work to, especially in certain systems. Hey, so potentially, um, let's say from a from so say the junior doctor point of view, we've kind of said research, teaching maybe management. These are the things that you're really rewarded for. Like, you know, yeah. you, you do research, you publish stuff. Great. You get in the program, you teach, you become an ALS instructor. Yeah. Great. Same with, you know, if you start working on communities and moving up there, you're really well rewarded. So what is outside of that? Yeah. And I think that that goes sort of links really well to the last thing we're talking about is that, you know, you reach the end, not the end, but but sort of the apex of your clinical dimension quite early on in a career. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the question is, well, what next? Right. Mm-hmm. And And so what I was sort of alluding to was that, well, once you get to that point, your progression can only come from those three, or at least that's what I was taught. In fact, I was taught even less than that. So I remember having this conversation with one of my mentors. He's like, well, you can do three fellowships, James, when you're done. You can do pain, you can do cardiac, or you can do peds, because they're the only three that require extra skills. And I thought, well, that's a strange thought because I've got 25, 30 years of a career left and I can only get three extra skills. That seems limiting. Um, and then obviously had more chats with other people and it and basically boiled down to if you want to do non-clinical work outside of those sort of three that were mentioned mm-hmm. in anesthesia, you can possibly do research, you can educate people, or you can go into management. That, like explicitly, those were the ones. Yeah. And I think, fine, that, that, is, that is, those are what I would say are established tracks for mm-hmm. kind of expanding your career. But what I, what I think is that most, most people sort of don't want to do either of those or any of those three, yeah. not, not in the way that they're sort of established. I mean, research, 
is if, if anyone who's done research is, is really, really difficult. It's a really difficult track to, to mm-hmm. do, especially in, in Australasia where, you, you know, you need a lot of, you need to overcome a great deal of inertia mm-hmm. and have a great deal of passion. And I could think the same could be said of education and management in that they're both nested, those pathways are nested within very, very large and very, very established um, sort of uh, structures so yeah. that you, you really have to basically slog it out for another 10 or 20 years before you kind of, in inverted commas, make it in those fields. And yeah. anyone who's done any of those things will, will, will basically say exactly that. Mm-hmm. And, that and that's fine. I'm, I'm just saying that for a lot of us, you know, in medicine, we, we get to the sort of time of being a consultant and you're like, well, do I really want to do that again? Yeah. And I'm not 20, 23 anymore. Yeah. Or, you know, however you are when you, when you start working, do I really have another 15 years of slog before I get to somewhere yeah. of value for myself? And how do I balance that? These are the questions that led me to. So I think, I feel like almost the reason why people don't change, unless they get, they get to their 30s, they become a consultant. And then I'd say the, you know, what else, what is next? I think for most people, what, what is next is, is family and absolute immersion in your work and family. And that's kind of it. You yeah. know, you, you, but also the fact that you're probably going to be a pretty high income earner, you've got these golden handcuffs. So mm. for you to actually take some time away and do education like ABCs of anesthesia is like a tremendous sacrifice for the other stuff. If you wanted to just keep your monetary value high, like, yeah. and it's you, 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 like a lot of other professions, you, you, you definitely want to do other things. If you want to make it big, you want to start a business, you want to, yeah. you know, 10x your income mm. it's much easier 10x your income if you're at a different salary to send specialists in this yeah and i think you you really you used the word golden handcuffs and that that is a really really good term because like you know you have kind of got to a point where you've got a really privileged position in society both from your status and from your money um, as, as a specialist in whatever field. And you've worked, we worked very, very hard to get to that point. So, mm. uh, you know, it, I, I feel like to sort of denigrate that position is not really fair. But at the same time, the kind of people that are selected for medicine and particularly specialist medicine are a very particular type of person. Like, you know, these people, most of, most of whom are very, very hardworking, very, very intelligent. And then to tell them that, you know, at the peak of their time, that all you're going to do is the same thing for the next 30 years, plus or minus look after a family yeah. is, fine um but perhaps not what everyone wants um and the question is well how do you how do you kind of let these people who who are really really motivated really hardworking people kind of have the most benefit to to themselves and to the people around them um yeah. and to their community so i i think you know and, and to sort of add on to that point i don't think what you're doing is really sort of traditional educational pathways like you, you've actually had to do something very very unique and different um and and you know how much help have you had along the way yeah youtube has helped me a lot Sure. I mean, that, that's exactly it. So you, you, you've, you know, I think in a lot of ways, you've had to find your own way through what's available in the community, mm. but not within your specialist community. And my feeling is that, well, why is that? Yeah. Okay. Why is that? Why do we, why do we narrowly define success within yeah. our jobs? Yeah. Okay. Hey, so let's say from the, from our audience perspective, and, and so if you're from your perspective, you went to California uh, and you did that the fellowship there, and you've seen a whole different avenue of of people uh, and 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 the way they approach consultant life and and their progression. Plus, you've done an MBA and seen and co- you know got all of those contacts. Plus, all your mates from outside of medicine. Let, let, let's say someone really doesn't like teaching, research, or or management. What do you reckon? Do you, do you have like some just just to throw out uh, you know cast a net of options? What are what are some things that juniors could think about? 
of getting into at this stage, but it's not in front of them because they've got no role models or mentors? Yeah. That's a really good question. I think, you know, the, the, that, that last part of having no role models or mentors is, is a really, really salient point in that in, in the same way like disadvantaged communities struggle to get into established organizations, mm-hmm. the same could be said the other way around in that for us to, as, as you know, sort of servants to our community, in order for us to serve our community, we have to kind of know, we kind of have to have a way to serve as mentors for those people that, that not necessarily have the same advantages as we do. And, mm-hmm. and that requires a degree of diversity in the way, not just our color, our skin, or, you know, what age we are or what sex we are, but mm-hmm. the way we think. And so actually, um, you know, I think a lot of people sort of have this undercurrent of that thought of like, how do I, if I'm not really interested, if I'm not deathly passionate about these things, how do I best serve the people around me? And how do I best serve my own interests? Um, and look, I would say that I don't have any answers to that. All I can say is really what I've done to, to address that, okay. which is that I've just asked myself questions. And, and that takes a great deal of time um, to, to, to get to because yeah. you have to know, know yourself, which is kind of the hardest thing to do. Like yeah. You have to spend a lot of time thinking about, well, well what, who am I? What is it that I'm interested in? And what is it that I'm good at? And how do I put those things together to make the most of my very privileged position in my community? Yeah. And so uh, maybe that question is even a bit rhetorical. Like uh, um, when I think about all the different options that are out there, Aside from research, teaching, and management, yeah. I can think the digital space is an incredible space, and that kind of transcends a lot of different yeah. fields. Whether whether it's teaching yeah. or management, or just making things more streamlined, easier, better. You know, if you think of a very medical sense, you can make your life easier by having processes. You know, with, yeah. with certain apps like Anki apps, or you know, having your Medscape app on your phone, or drug doses. But maybe you could extend to other things like you know, being charitable, like you know, being yeah. able to inspire that in the workplace or you know just fairness and um yeah and oh, you know what am i what, what else what else even just like outreach of education to other countries yeah. sustainability, sustainability. Growth, oh, yeah. all these things public health like yeah. like actually that, that's great like the idea of someone being a sustainable person or a green person and yeah. that being your whole career path par, par, you know parallel to your normal clinical path that sounds incredible to me that that could be the thing because really you know, what is teaching, but trying to educate the future world and what is sustainability, but trying to preserve the future world. Yeah. So there's, there's all these parallels and research is trying to find answers for yourself in the future. Yeah. Um, but then what was your path then? What was, what did you see out of this and how did you go down this kind of MBA digital path? Yeah. So I think my, like I said, I, I think it's more about the process, which is pointing towards asking questions and being really, really curious about, you know, the potentials that are out there rather than say, which again is sort of drilled into us from essentially day one, the way we think about problems in medicine is that there are A, B, and C sets of solutions. And we find evidence to support A, B, or C. And in the end, we weigh up the evidence and we say, this is most likely A, B, or C. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reality is that that confines your solution space to A, B, or C. And the way the world is going and the way that the medicine is going is that our solution space is no longer A, B, and C. It's actually lots and lots of different things, C, D, E, delta, theta, you know, like different dimensions. And so I, I, I don't pretend that I'm, you know, wise enough to know all of those and I don't think anyone should. And so really it, it, it changes your mindset from being a trainee, which is where you're looking for evidence to support what you already know versus sort of, I guess that would be called a scientific or an inquisitive mindset where you're looking for 
all the different possibilities that there could be. And so therefore you can't answer those questions without having made some experiments on those questions. And the only way you can experiment in terms of your career is to, to investigate and, yeah. and look, look for the patterns. And so I think we've mentioned some of those things, um, you know, lots of different things that we could potentially do. With regards to what I did, well, I, I basically asked, you know, what is it that I'm really, really interested in? Mm -hmm. And what I'm really, really interested in is complex complexity, like large groups and particularly human complexity. I am interested in large groups of people doing things together. Yep. And, you know, anesthesia kind of has a microcosm of that in that we always, almost always work with a group of people trying to achieve a common objective. And, you know, we see experience, you know, in our workplace and how that goes well and how that doesn't go well. And usually it's these um, soft skills that have come to the fore. And so my pathway is, well, it seems to me as if, if I want to work in a place with lots of other people and achieve good things with other people, mm -hmm. I need to develop these soft skills. And so where would I develop those? Because medicine doesn't teach us that. Like that literally, th there's, there's no structure in which that is informed to any point of my training. So part of that was to expand my way of thinking and to learn soft skills. And, you know, I, I sort of looked at the things that I could do and where I could go. And the first part was, well, let's go overseas to see if that's consistent elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And yes, it was. In fact, it was, it was much, more con much more valued over there. Um, and then when I came back, I was like, well, how do I develop these skills further? Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, I could do a PhD or I could do an MBA to learn more. And it seemed to me as if just from my point of view that MBA seemed to develop those perspectives and soft skills much more like explicitly yeah so that's so i would say that you know if you're interested in doing things work out what it is that you're interested in work out how to develop skills in that and then work towards developing those skills and then eventually you'll head up somewhere that you're interested in yeah that's right um i remember to mention it in one of his addresses to his old uh uwa he talks about like don't worry about having a big vision just work at the things right in front of you with you know severe passion yeah and then opportunity just kind of happens and that makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah. you know, I think a lot of us, we just kind of look at the, look at what's in front of us, have a go at it, try to do our best. And then suddenly opportunities come up. I imagine your first time you did well in an exam, you just wanted to get the exam done, but then suddenly that became an opportunity to go to university and opportunity maybe do medicine. And yeah. yeah. And I think medicine definitely encourages that kind of long vision mindset when you're in it, because yeah. it's like, well, you know what you're going to get at the end of it. If you work hard and you do your exams and you do the necessary re requirements, mm -hmm. you'll end up at a position. So you, you sort of effectively for the last, you know, when you start working to when you become a specialist, spend mm -hmm. over a decade working towards a very sort of big goal. Yeah. And so to change your mindset to go, you know what, I'm going to go to this small goals mindset, mm -hmm. fail, learn again. It's, it's very antithetical to what you've been doing. Yeah. And, and so that's what I would say is that, you know, as for trainees who are kind of going that pathway where they're like putting themselves towards a really big goal, that once they get there, like there's all these different ways of then progressing that yeah. don't involve the same method as they do, which is why I think education, research, and management are so appealing because they fit in the same mold of how you get to that point. Yeah. You just work at it for ages, do the things that people tell you to do, and you'll get there. Whereas yeah. actually some of these other things that you've done and that I've done are actually quite different to that, where you basically make little small things and you sort of look at how successful they've been on a very small level and go, well, is this, is this right for this month or next month or this year, that year? And then you go, okay, what am I going to do next? So you shorten your kind of time frame for assessment. Yeah, okay. And so maybe that leads on well to one of your points, which is if you don't go into the consultant pathway, uh, that's a failure. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I guess that, yeah, it really is a really good leading point. Uh, people tend to see it that way. And, and I think I see it most acutely, particularly for anesthesia, in terms of exams. Yep. You know, people say, well, I failed exams. Oh, my God. But that, 
that's shameful and it's it leads to all these negative emotions and spiral of behaviors that potentially leads them to be even like less likely to be successful the second time around and it's mostly i think because we haven't really had a lot of practice up until that point most of people who are in medicine who are in sort of vocational specialist training pathways have been successful academically at least at pretty much everything they've ever done mm. and so this is their first experience of failure and so if you've been doing something where someone's like do this and you'll get this and you've been doing that for your entire life and you get to a point where you're like well, I can't do that now. What do I do? It can definitely appear as if it's a failure. Yeah. And you can call it what you want, but I think ultimately it just means that perhaps what you need to do as an individual is to redefine your sense of success and failure. Mm. Um, because, you know, whether you get to being a specialist or not, doesn't really matter. I mean, and again, this is a very first world kind of perspective on it is that there are lots of different opportunities. Yeah. It's different if you're, if you're in, you know, basically on the poverty line or whatever, but but let, uh, not very few very few people who are in vocational training are going to be in that position. Yeah, it's funny when you think about, let's just from a monetary sense of view, I, I remember thinking, oh, look, if I fail my exam yeah. so I don't get on to anesthetics, I can still locum for life and be one of the most successful people monetary-wise <laughs> ever. And it's just, it doesn't even seem like a loss. Um, that said, I really, I couldn't help but, I, you know, I really, really needed to pass and graduate from anesthetics. That was... Yeah. Just this non-negotiable thing. Yeah. Yeah, I I remember feeling it too. It's just like putting a lot of pressure on myself to be like, I must do this because this is, you know, this is what I have to do. And Mm. the question I should have asked myself is, well, why do I have to do this? Mm. What is it? What is this doing for me? What am I doing for it? And is it worth it? Yeah. And and perhaps that's the question that we should always be asking. Mm. But sometimes when you're busy doing something and you're really focused on something, it's very hard to take that step back. Yeah. It's kind of like being in the zone. Like athletes and performers who are in the zone, they're not asking questions about why they're doing it. They're just doing it. They're just doing it. And in some ways, we need to get to that place to be able to do what you do in training sometimes because it's really difficult. But it's not always like that. Yeah. Yeah. And especially once you finished, you you know, you have the luxury to not be like that. And therefore, you kind of have to learn to change your mindset. Yes. I was thinking as we were trying to, you know, as we we're discussing what to talk about, I was thinking one of the things I tell all my medical students is that you will choose your career probably based on bad evidence. Like, for example, you will be a medical student on rotation of various different specialties. And generally speaking, no one really compliments you. You know, you're pretty much doing your, trying your hardest. You're getting everything wrong because you just haven't been there for very long, unlike your residents and registrars and the consultant who's done it for 20, 30 years. Um, and then suddenly you might have a consultant who just believes in you and says, oh, well done, Lahiru. That was really good. And suddenly kind of like a weird um, Stockholm syndrome type thing where you'll be like, oh, wow, this person believes in me. Therefore, I should become a general surgeon who just is on call seven days a week in a rural hospital or something like mm. that. And I think you, you, you forget to realize that, oh, no, no, that was just a, a blip in my emotions rather yeah. than so, you know, I, I think if you really like know who you are and what you want to do mm. or try to, try to analyze that constantly, if you're an introvert, being a GP, having to talk to patients all day long could be draining. But if you're an extrovert, that could be quite fun and enjoyable. Yeah. Like knowing your personality, like if you're, you know, if you're an extremely open, creative person, being in certain fields, maybe, you know, maybe surgery, you won't get to express that creativity a lot, but maybe in other sectors where you can start a business pretty easily, like mm. in general practice or, um, you know, where you have more time potentially or more flexible hours, like yeah. the road professions, radiology, ophthalmology, anesthetics, and dermatology. Yeah. Maybe you can explore those things a lot easier uh, because of that flexibility. So, you know, knowing your personality, tie it to the day in, day out of a job, the bread and butter kind of working week of a consultant in that job. Mm. And that's how you can potentially decide. And really, what does that require? Mm. You have to think about what you, who you are and what you like. 
And then you have to talk to someone, you've got to talk to a consultant in their job. What what does it look like? Because it's not the resident, it's not the registrar. That's mm. a really small amount of time in your career. And you know, you've really I think it's just completely worth analyzing. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean that there's there's a lot of there's a lot of sort of I wouldn't say wrong information, but but like a different weighting of information at any given point in time. And I think you've highlighted the point that your career doesn't stay static. Like it doesn't look Mm. the same throughout. And you give different indexation for different periods of your life. Like Mm. some people might really be like, I really want to have a great 20s and 30s, right? The Mm. the bottom line is you can't have it all, right? Like no matter what you choose, you can't have it all. So what you're doing is effectively making really difficult decisions. And in fact, that's sort of like the process of kind of becoming an adult is like, you just have to make more and more difficult decisions. Difficult in the sense that there's no right answer. Not difficult in the sense that they're impossible to make. In fact, they're very easy to make. You just make an arbitrary decision. Mm-hmm. Like these are arbitrary decisions. There's no, no one says that being a radiologist is definitely better than being an anesthetist. Like mm-hmm. what? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's just different. Um, and it's the same. Like no one says that being a surgeon is definitely worse than being a GP. It's just mm-hmm. like they're different. So you actually, in order to, to make these arbitrary decisions, as you, as, as we kind of talked about, is that you do just need to know a little bit about yourself, but you won't actually know that you've made the right decision. And so some of it is about, trying to make the best decision possible with the information that you have. And what you're talking about is kind of, you know, in business that would be called due diligence. It's like, mm. what what do I need to know about where I am? So my own capabilities and my own desires. And what do I need to know about the future state of where I'm going? What is the sort of desirable place that I want to go? And how do I know information about that? Mm. But because we don't, we're always going to have this information incompleteness about both ourselves and where we're going. What we have to learn to do is, well, one, how do we, how do we fail in effect? You know, how do we, how do we assess where we're at? And see if that's still where we want to be. You know, is that consistent with who we are? Is that consistent where where we want to go? So how do we do that quickly? And in business, that would be called failing fast. Yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah. same idea. Like you 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 know when to assess. That doesn't mean you always change. It just means you need to check in with yourself every so often yeah. at sort of important points in your career. And you know, typically that would be you know after a big achievement or after you've done something that you thought was really difficult. It's like, do I feel like the way I think I would feel? Mm-hmm. Is that consistent? If not, why not? Mm-hmm. Is that still the right path for me? That's the first thing. The second thing I think is, um, um, yeah, a, a, you know, coming to terms with that decision. So it's like if you choose something, you're like, oh, this wasn't quite what I expected. Well, it's like, okay, well, that's fair enough. But is that, could I, could I get joy and, and could I get, you know, value out of where I am now? Mm-hmm. And that's about kind of molding yourself a little bit to the position. Now, not everyone is a fixed entity. You're, you're a movable entity, right? So if you're like, well, I'm finding surgery very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my lifestyle is not so great. Well, is there a way? that I can, you know, mm-hmm. make my life fit into that. You know, I'm finding, like, for me, it was like, well, I don't know that I want to do full-time clinical anesthesia. Mm-hmm. Is that going to be possible? Mm-hmm. It, if it is, well, he, here are the different ways I can look at it. Yeah. So, so I think there's two sort of two parts to it. You know, the first part is trying to make the best decision possible and do the best that you can, acknowledge that you sometimes might get it wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, three parts. The second part is, you know, assess along the way, um, see where you're at, see if it's consistent where we think you ought to be. Mm-hmm. And third is once you get there, le- learn to love what you do mm. because there is an element of learning to love. Now, mm-hmm. you know, I think we've, we've kind of denigrated that final point a lot in our culture. Mm-hmm. You know, we call it settling. But it's like, yeah, but like everything is settling. Like everything you do is some degree of compromise. Yeah, so like true. you can't have it all. So just learn, okay, what is it about it and how tolerant can I be of that? Yeah. I'm not saying you should always just stay doing the same thing. I'm just saying, you know, you have to make, a, again, a, a frank and fair assessment of where you're at at any point in time and say, well, what are the options? What yeah. do they look like? And then just choose because it doesn't actually matter what you choose. Yeah, that's right. Right. No, that's a really good point. The, the whole was it FOMO and JOMO. 
the joy of missing out. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just being okay with what you are and, yeah. and accepting. Yeah. I don't think the fear or joy is, 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 is yeah, is, is sort of, I mean, people, I mean, it's normal to feel those things. But, it's just arbitrary decisions. But yeah, they're just arbitrary decisions. Like yeah. you can find joy in anything you do and you can find fear in everything that you do. So yeah, it's like, <laughs> Pick pick the things that you, you're going to do, and then learn what that does for you. And again, that goes back to kind of being self aware, yeah, and sort of having that metacognition. So that's that, that's good. That leads on to probably the final point of you know changing careers. Mm. Um, and I and I and I feel like this really is about. I mean, the, the way to do this is probably that I can see one of the best ways is some some level of mentorship. And yeah. say it's not the traditional path. It's not teaching. It's not research. It's very hard to find those mentors. Mm. And but now the world is very small, you know, like, you know, you just have to get on the internet, on Instagram, on Facebook, and there'll be someone there who's happy to have a chat. And I know I get, you know, emails every day and comments every day with people just asking advice about little things. I can't answer all of them, but it's really, you know, it's, it's not too difficult to reach out to someone and try to figure out what did they do to get where they are and, you know, how did they arrange something in their life to do it? And I know with anesthesia coffee break, you know, we talk about, you know, lots of different people, whether you're, you know, you've, come from overseas or you're a mom and it's always a different journey. Yeah. And I remember we had this person, uh, you know, really sacrificed a lot to get through the first part exam um, as a mom. And I think a lot of moms, you know, it was really good for them to hear that, to under, kind of understand what it looks like from, from, from a certain perspective and mm. share that. So yeah, mentors try to, you know, really finding them is probably one of the biggest hurdles and maybe something, I think we, we, we've talked about this, like making mentors accessible yeah, in, in a, absolutely. Yeah. So I think, yeah, there's definitely something about kind of models and 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 people around you. I mean, mm. that all just goes down towards connection, right? And mm. you got to connect with people to essentially be able to even appreciate a different worldview. Like everyone's a bit different. And so you, what, what you're aiming to do is get information about the world that you can't have access to from your perspective. It's literally like, what are you seeing that I'm not seeing? What yeah. am I seeing you haven't seen? And then we try and work together to solve you know, a problem, whatever that might be. And in this particular problem that we're solving is about our, you know, like our careers. So if that's the career, if that's the problem you're trying to solve, what you would like is someone who's basically done what you want to do, potentially someone who has done something very different to what you want to do Mm -hmm. and hear different perspectives and try and integrate that complex sort of set of information. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're right, mentorship is a really, really great model for that. Um, But the trouble is, uh, there's two folds, uh, troubles. One is that we don't really have a culture of mentorship in medicine in the sense of mm. we don't really have structures to fully facilitate how that process works. Mm-hmm. Cause like, you know, just talking about it, no, that's not how it works. It's mm. like education is not just about being in the right place at the right time. It's about mm. having reflective discussion mm. and mentorship is much of the same. Like you have to have a process in which you engage your mentee and your mentor to make the most of your time. Um, it's better than not having anything, but you know, having a structure helps. The second part is like, Particularly in Australia, um, the, 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 as I said, as we started off sort of to round out, like, you know, the number of perspectives available here is quite narrow. And that's probably just down to a function of how many people are doing any particular given thing. We just have mm. less people, yes. you know, that we have 2000 or so, you know, fellows of the anesthetic college yeah. in, and, you know, you'll have access to maybe 50 of them at any one given time. Mm. That's a pretty small, small subset of people mm. in which to inform big decisions about who you are. Now, if you are very much like those people, then that's not so much of a problem. But if you are, as the world is going, becoming more and more diverse, mm-hmm. that is a problem. Um, because, you know, people who come from diverse backgrounds are going to have diverse perspectives about what their life ends up looking like. Mm. And the trouble is that we've come from a very narrow group of people. And I certainly felt that when I started anesthesia, you know, that a lot of people had the same perspective. Mm. And it was an okay perspective for me because I'd grown up in that run, but it wasn't completely me. So 
having to step outside to find those people was actually a great exercise in itself. How do I go out? And, you know, as you would know, with the sort of social media and sort of digital technology, it's much easier to find those people. Yeah. And honestly, most people are pretty happy to have a chat. Like yeah. I've had no problems finding people to talk yeah. to about various different things. So you just have to kind of, you know, let that go and be like, I am looking for this and yeah. here's what I'm looking for. And it's about sharing that too, not just saying, what can you do for me? But what can I do for you? Because sometimes that leads to really great things. It's like, oh, I actually, you, you, you need this. Like, oh, I can help you with that. And then who knows where that goes? Yeah, so it's absolutely. about having that mindset of, you know, having it go. That's, um, yeah, and to wrap it up, I, I think after this, like from having this chat, it's, it's almost like if we get advised kind of how, like a process of how to do this, at least at that, this point, just be, you know, self-awareness, like understand what you, you know, what you want, what you like and reflect on that regularly. Um, try to find, you know, you know, so ask that question, be aware of who you ask that question and then just see what's out there because there's so many different parts, you know, worldwide and it's very accessible now and just, the fact that when you think about the reality of it, it's not too hard to, you know, have a taste of whatever path in in a really safe way that doesn't jeopardize your career that you you know may want to fall back on. Um, and yes, yeah, so I think maybe those are the, kind of the take home steps. Like, just don't be afraid of change. Yeah. Um, ask yourself those questions and try to find examples of how you could potentially add some something else to your otherwise pretty structured career. To just make it a you know a little bit different or more more suited to your to your life goals, life vision. Yeah, really, it's just about learning. Like that's the way I see it. It's like your learning shouldn't slow down or stop. Mm. You're you're as capable of learning today as you are twenty years ago, mm. and you're as capable in 10, 15 years time as you are now. You can learn different things, and you have different capacities to mm. sort of fill your life with things as you go through life stages. But there's no reason why you can't learn. Mm. And and you know, being an adult learner is fascinating and rewarding in its own ways that being a child learner isn't. Um, so I think if, as long as you take the perspective that learning is what you want to do, um, then I think you, you know, you, you lead yourself down a better pathway. Yeah. That's great. Um, I think that's probably a good point to wrap it up. I yeah, really enjoyed this chat. Thanks. No, that was, that was really, really fun. Yeah. Good. Um, good, good. So look, if anyone's got any questions, please email me at ABCs of anesthesia. Um, and yeah, thanks so much, James, for coming, coming along and having this chat. Uh, this is ABC's NFC. Please share with anyone who might be interested, and we'll see you again for the next episode. Thanks a lot.